What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, of course, our official, unofficial, official, officially unofficial? I don't know. Anyways, our coffee sponsor, Hotshot Brewery. Swing over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and pick yourself up some swag, support that firefighter culture, and get yourself some coffee while you're at it. They just came out with this sawdust blend, and it is the business. I'm drinking it right now because I like to do this stuff first thing in the morning when I'm just chugging a bunch of caffeine. Anyways, also, these guys actually help out the uh, Anchor Point podcast by slinging some of our merch, the Band of Brothers tea and the Band of Brothers sweatshirt they are out they are available for pre-order right now and we got more stuff coming that way so once again www.hotshotbrewery.com go check them out it's good coffee for a good cause and a portion of the proceeds goes to the wildland firefighter foundation check them out another sponsor of the anchor point podcast is going to be the smoky generation aka the american wildfire experience you guys don't know what that is jeff definitely uh check them out on instagram see what they have to offer and if you guys want to know more swing over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check out what they have it's a collection of stories dating all the way back to the 1940s about wildland fire it's pretty damn cool if you ask me and uh bethany's got an awesome organization over there She's actually teamed up with uh, Mystery Ranch and Water Axe Pumps to facilitate some grants for our bloggers, our writers, our cinematographers, and our photographers out there in the field. So they did it in 2018, they did it in 2019, and now applications are going to be open soon for the 2020 fire season. So check them out, www.wildfireexperience.org. It's an awesome organization. Check them out. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast, episode number 22. Hope everyone is doing well. So, fire lunches. Let's be honest, they suck. We hate them. We've been eating them for too long, and you know what? That probably has some uh, damaging effects on our body. So, we're going to talk about fire lunches today, finally. Today on the show, I've got Kyle Camp. He is a registered dietitian, and he also owns Valley to Peak Nutrition. He's out of Idaho, and uh, yeah. He's going to delve into the subject of fire lunches. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, man. You ready to roll this? Ready. All right. Let's send it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Anchor Point podcast. Today on the show, I've got Kyle Camp with Valley to Peak Nutrition. How's it going, man? Great, man. I appreciate you having me. Oh, yeah, dude. It's always good to have someone new and in the fitness and nutrition world on the show. I love that stuff. I can kind of geek out about that stuff like all day, dude. Yep, me too. So we're, we're in good company. 
<laughs> Perfect. I think uh, everybody listening is going to really enjoy this show. You got some good feedback here, so after our discussion. So tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So, um, yeah, I, so I, I live out, I live in Idaho. I'm a dietitian at a, at a hospital, but of course, like you mentioned, Valley to Peak Nutrition, it's a side business that I've got, uh, mainly focused on fueling folks who take on anything in the mountains, which of course is how you and I connected with wildland firefighting and nutrition. Um, moved out to Idaho about, oh, about six, six years ago or so, six and a half years ago, I grew up in the Midwest with no exposure to the mountains at all. And, you know, when they, um, to be a dietitian, of course, I think we'll get into this later, but to be a dietitian, they place you in some sort of a residency program. And so they, they placed me in Idaho and man, I thought what a death sentence that has to be. So I thought, man, I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to come back to the Midwest, move on with my life. And I came out here and had a couple of friends, you know, take me backpacking and um, do some kayak and stuff and I just I fell in love with it and of course I I stayed met my wife here and now I just love it here and taking advantage all that uh the the uh, Pacific Northwest has to offer by way of recreation and fun oh yeah dude I love Idaho like Boise especially man that's one of my like college <clears throat> jam towns I love that place man it's just cool shit to do everywhere you got the mountains close by you got upland game hunting down the street it's just really a nice place man it's fun, and if if any if any of your listeners are from Boise, they would probably hate me for saying this, but it's it's a phenomenal place to live, and that you can you know you can be hunting in thirty minutes if you're into that. You can ski, you can have your your butt on a lift in thirty to forty five minutes, like you'd mentioned. You you can upland game hunt. It's just a it's a great place. You live in the city, so there's job opportunities and. Uh, but we're full. We're completely full. So anyone that's listening, you do, don't even don't think about it. That's kind of how I feel about Reno, man. It's like, get the hell out of here, man. We're full. Can't you see the sign? No vacancy. Yeah, you guys are full. We, we've driven, like I told you, we've driven um, through Reno to go over to the Sierras and stuff and uh, driven through around four or five and that place is jam packed. Oh yeah, dude. It's, it's turned <clears throat> into a, a, a dumpster fire as far as population goes. It's crazy. I bet. I bet, man. Nice, man. So, uh, what, what led you into being a dietitian? You have a pretty interesting story about this. So, yeah. So, you know, like I said, with not having had any exposure to the mountains as a, as a kid, I also had ironically enough, no exposure to good nutrition as a kid either. And, uh, so I grew up, like I said, in the Midwest kind of normal life in terms of, um, home life and um you know my my parents didn't really cook a lot we were busy and so long, long story short i just had i just had really bad health habits and so as i got older ended up weighing about 270 pounds at at the age of 21 which i'm five foot six which as you can imagine is not built for much more than 150 pounds and so i remember laying in bed one morning it was christmas morning actually 21 and I started having these, these, all of these chest pains and <clears throat> I thought, well, you know, I don't know anything or at that point I didn't know anything about the medical field, but I, I'm pretty certain that this probably can't be a good thing. So maybe I should begin to do something about this. And so started making small changes in my life, just, you know, different things whenever I would order, uh, I'd, you know, I'd stopped grabbing six slices of pizza when I walked past the fridge as a snack, uh, you know, just started making common sense type choices. And so, over a period of time, started adding in some exercise and lost 140 pounds. And um, it's what ended up sort of 
where the field that I'm in now is I, I was curious to know, you know, I knew that all these foods that I'd switched over to were healthier for me, but I wanted to know why I wanted to know what happened, you know, what happens in my body that makes the apple better for me than four slices of pizza as a snack. What happens in my body that makes the rice and the chicken better for me than, you know, a double cheeseburger and milkshake. And so enrolled in my local university and many, many years later, finished with everything they said I needed to finish with shipped to Idaho and became a dietitian. So that's badass, man. I love, I, I, I truly, truly love a success story like that when making that complete 180 turn in your health and fitness, man, that shit inspires me. Yeah, I appreciate it. You, you know, like you and I were talking before, before we started recording the things that I enjoy now, you know, there's, there's just no way I would be able to do those at 270 pounds. And so I'm, you know, I'm, or approach you with an immense amount of gratitude just to be able to live here and take advantage of the stuff that's offered here because there's no way I would have been able to 10 years ago. That's, <clears throat> that's epic, man. It's, it's, it just always kind of blows my mind how these, these choices that we make have this snowball and <clears throat> snowball effect and these cascading effects throughout our entire body. Go yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dramatize it or, you know, just keep talking about myself, but truly changed my life. I mean, in every, in every facet. So yeah, definitely grateful. And, you know, I knew when I started to look at careers about that time, like I wanted to do something to help um, other people do the same thing, just having had experience it myself. And so I, when I first enrolled in college, I dabbled a little bit with uh, graphic art, being a PE teacher at a school and all those careers are great, but ultimately, you know, this was the hardest road, but I knew it's what I wanted to do. So just committed, went for it. No, that's good though. That's it. It's good that you say that because it shows that you have passion for it. Yeah. So I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% sure that your clientele is also experiencing that. So keep that up. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, man. So what do you do now? You specialize. You specialize in mountain tactical athletes, stuff like that. Can you expand on that a little bit about what exactly it is you do? Yeah. So any, anything from, you know, you, you have, maybe you've got someone who's got aspirations to come and do even a, even a three day backpacking trip to some high mountain lakes out here or in the rock or in the um, Canadian Rockies or whatever, Alaska, but they just don't feel like they're quite in shape enough to take on whatever it is that they're, they're wanting to do. So, you know, one piece of it is that is trying to help people prepare to be where they want to be whenever they leave for the trip and, Man, what's involved with that is is quite detailed. It's assessing where they are, and you know, what are your goals? What mentally? How how much? How how deep into this do you want to get? Because you know, life you have to manage your life too. You can definitely dive off into the weeds in the world of nutrition and just let it consume your life, but that's not the goal either. And so, that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is more is geared more towards professionals, so like wildland firefighters or. Um, <clears throat> athletes that are taking on big events like you know we talked about the group of guys that were doing a hundred mile uh hundred mile hike over a three-day period so you know how, how, how do you attack that from a nutrition standpoint to give yourself enough fuel so you're not bonking at the end of day one when you still have two days left to go um to people running ultras and you know different skiing type events backcountry hunters going on um you know seven day elk hunts in september how, how do i bring enough food for something like that and so sitting down and again trying to assess where they are and 
you know, financially, what are you able to do? Do you, do you are you able to buy all dehydrated stuff? Do you want to prepare your own stuff? You know, what's out there? What's available? What's your calorie needs? Um, how much of those calories need to be from carbohydrates, proteins, and fats? And I could go all day. <laughs> Please do, about, man. That's what we're here about. Probably. It so. <clears throat> So yeah, we'll we'll map all of that out and you know stay in touch with whoever I'm working with and you know things I think the thing that people appreciate the most about a service like this is you know it's inevitable that you, it's great to get a one and done plan right like you get this meal plan you go follow it but then then what right you finish yeah. it and then what what's the continuation so think, of that that's yeah yeah, so I think the thing that they like the most about it is the ability to be able to filter questions with someone, to have someone that they can loop back to and say, hey, you know, I, I tried this, it didn't work, what now type of a deal. Um, so I think that they like that piece of it. And so we'll continue to touch base up until the day that they leave. Or even I've had guys fly to Alaska and call me in Alaska in the grocery. <laughs> hey, hey, man, what do I, you know? this is what we set up. That's not an option. What's plan B because tomorrow I leave for my sheep hunt. Right. And so helping them figure that out rather than leaving them in a panic in aisle three, trying to figure out well, what granola bar do I buy? Right. Or, or what do I buy? They're all sold out of what we talked about. Yeah. So I, I like it, man. I enjoy it. That's cool. It sounds like you're passionate, like I said earlier, but it's also like a comprehensive program and not just for the event or whatever thing you're doing that's going to be taking this caloric need, but it's also yeah. a continuation of that. It's pretty unique. Not a lot of people offer that. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the foundation of it, and you know, I appreciate you sort of highlighting it. And um, another piece of it, you know, I'll do a little bit of writing for different companies. I do some consulting for companies and um, you know, just different entities. I feel like they may benefit from a service like that. And, um, yeah, like I said, I've come to just grown to really enjoy it. That's awesome, man. So now that we've kind of explained what you do, let's talk about nutrition. Let's do it. Let's get into it. All right, man. So <laughs> one question that I had, I don't know if anybody else knows this, but what's the main difference between a dietitian? and a nutritionist because i know they're different but i just don't know what the difference is yeah that's a good question and a common question um so there's a couple of really key things that differentiate number one is the schooling uh so schooling is is a big factor credentialing is a big factor and um, accountability and um continuing education so in terms of schooling the dietitian schooling is geared more towards medical-based stuff, right? So we're in a lot of classes with physicians and people that are going in that type of field. So there's anatomy and physiology, there's human metabolism, there's biochemistry, organic chemistry. How does, you know, I talked a little bit earlier, whenever I lost weight, I was curious, well, what happened from a from a metabolic standpoint, from a standpoint of you know, whenever I metabolize the food, what, my body, what does my body go through? We have classes geared towards that. Nutrition is uh, folks who are nutritionists. They, it could be a number of different things. One, they could have taken a certification online, series of classes, but none of that, none of that human metabolism, deep dive when things go awry, and you need an answer to you need to think deeper. You know, and be able to explain well why did this stop or why did you plateau? Why did you? Why were you on it? able to make it up the mountain why did you bomb those type of things classes are geared more towards that 
so in addition to that, we've got to, um, we do all of our, our, our undergrad program. Then we get placed in a residency type program, 1200 hours of supervised practice. And then we sit for an exam, um, to get credentialed as a, as a dietitian, which credentialing is called an RD and RDN. Um, so we, we take that, you have to pass that and then you're accountable to a, a standard basically. And then you have continuing educations that you have to keep the nutritionist has none of that they kind <laughs> you know, of just so like do what they do and then it's like oh congratulations you're a nutritionist yeah, not to take yeah. discredit any nutritionist out there or anything like that but it's just different. right absolutely not it's it's different and you know the class structure is different there's no oversight so we have accountability to a credentialing body like i'm certified by the idaho board of medicine if i mess up they are on me if a nutritionist gives poor recommendations and someone suffers consequence, there's really no accountability for that. Um, I have to hold malpractice. I mean, I you know, all of these different things play a big role. Um, I think in differentiating between the two. So, okay, yeah, but well, it totally makes sense. It seems like there's a governing <clears throat> body, uh, like you're saying, there's a governing body where it's mandatory continuing education (CEs). And then mm-hmm. with a nutritionist, it seems like there's a lot of self-motivation that needs to be uh, taken on by the nutritionist. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've met I've met some some great people who are in the world of nutrition and are not dietitians. They're knowledgeable. You know, that like you'd said earlier, that certainly is not to discredit folks out there because there are some really bright nutritionists. Um, but me personally, you know, I'm I'm probably going to seek out a credentialed professional who has to have some sort of an oversight for someone saying, yes, this person is maintaining their knowledge on the subject. Yes, this person has had to pass all of the rigors of being able to be credentialed. You, you know, I, for me, I feel more comfortable sitting under someone like that as opposed to, oh, yeah, he he watched a few YouTube videos, took a nice test and got a certification or whatever. I feel you, man. It's kind of like the CrossFit thing versus like uh, someone who's medically trained in the exercise world, I guess you could say. Yeah. CrossFit yep. is like a seminar for three days. We, The listeners are obviously going to know what that is, but... Is it boiled based or boiled down to basing your education off of experience with CrossFit? I'd say yes. Is it from a certifiable like PT or medical standpoint? Not necessarily. Yeah, I think that that's a great analogy, right? So you know, a PT or exercise physiologist, they understand the physiology. They understand you know why muscle growth happens at a metabolic standpoint. Why it you know, all those deeper dive things where maybe maybe the client or the athlete doesn't care about that, but you as the practitioner need to be able to explain it and think how how can I adjust something to meet what it is that their need is. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah, copy that. It's just different worlds, I guess. So yep. as far as wildland firefighters, why would you consider us tactical athletes since we're kind of on the subject of fitness and nutrition, tactical athlete, right? Yeah, absolutely. So to me, to me, you know, maybe with exception to military and I would put them potentially some, some brand, some, some jobs in the military, put them on the same par with you. I can't think of another job that's more physically demanding and, uh, another job that is more, um, along the lines of an athlete than wildman firefighting, right? The rigors of that, the conditions, the environment, um, that you guys go into to, fight some of the, the nastiest stuff that the West has to offer on some of the steepest slopes and some of the longest miles and so on and so forth. I can't think of a, of a, of an occupation where nutrition could play a bigger role. And of course, 
you know, I, I touched on it earlier. It's how you and I connected was over a post on social media where um, someone had basically posted their lunch for the day <laughs> and it was full of crap. It's garbage. <laughs> All right. So um, that was sort of how we connected and started shooting messages back and forth uh, just on that topic. And so, yeah, I can't think of a, I can't think of a, 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 an occupation where nutrition plays a bigger role, wildland firefighting, and like I said, maybe a couple of others, but not many. Okay, all right. So, why should we eat like tactical athletes? I think that's kind of a self-answering question. But what would a tactical athlete eat like, in your opinion? So, I think I think number one, I think if you if you eat if you eat better, right, this doesn't necessarily this doesn't necessarily answer what do they eat like, but I think the reason to try to eat better is you feel better, right? so if you if you feel better, then generally, in my experience, people tend to perform better. And when you perform better, you you know, like your job obviously is incredibly dangerous, so you're making less mistakes, right? you're You're on the line and you're trying to be very precise with what you're doing because you can get hurt real quick if you're not paying attention so if you feel better you perform better and not only that you guys are making you know runs for several days in a row and if your nutrition isn't on point as those days increase your productivity decreases immensely and so if you maintain just like an athlete right if an athlete if i if i if i have those those guys doing the three day hundred hundred mile trek um, if they don't do well day one, then day two's got no hope. And if day two has no hope, they're really going to be in trouble by day three. And likewise, well, for you guys, if you're if you're on a on a on a job for seven, fourteen plus days, whatever, uh, if you're not doing good day day after day, then surely you know it's going to be tough to finish out that that complete assignment. So quality nutrition is of utmost importance. It's it's kind of weird, though, because we're kind of at this stage uh, where we don't have a decision-making process for this, really. What we're, what we're given is what we're kind of going to eat. And when you're that tired and that deprived of nutrients or calories or whatever, you're going to eat whatever's handed to you. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, from a, from, you know, from a person, there's usually a dietitian that will plan things like this, right? So, whether it's whether it's the meals and fire camp or you know another another program that dietitians are synonymous with is something like a seniors program right like meals on wheels when you plan something when you plan a a menu on for meals on wheels there are certain criteria that you have to meet that's essentially one-third of a senior's daily needs so 33 percent of their calorie protein carbohydrate and nutrient needs you have to plan so it's person like me in, in that role, they'll go through and they'll plan a menu and there has to be certain amounts of fruits, vegetables, so on and so forth. But if you look at, at, at the menu at the end of the day, the numbers are met, but then you look at what's in the tray and they just don't match, right? You're like, oh, how can this possibly be be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it's, it's a lot of the same for you. You talk about there's not any real structure I think that, you know, people for fire camp, they, there's a certain number that they have to hit. And at the end of the day, it's a math game and they're not necessarily looking at quality. And of course, we could get in the weeds and talk about, well, it could be the budget. It could be, you know, frankly, someone just not caring on the other end of it. Oh, I met the numbers. Here you go. Put it together. Ship it out to them. They'll get over it. Type of deal. Um, 
but yeah, I, I can see where it could potentially become a big problem. And like you and I will talk about it here in a little bit, I think um, long-term health effects, right. Versus the short-term health effects of the type of nutrition that you guys get out there. So that's an interesting thing that you uh, have the, it, well, you know, what's going on with the fire lunch situation and you hit it perfectly right there saying that, you know, these guys have a baseline amount of calories, protein, fat, carbo or carbohydrates, and that's what we get. So I don't think it's yep. like a, a, I want to give you this thing, but in reality you have to get this because it's shelf stable or it's going to last long, it's going to last longer or it's impact resistant or yeah. whatever. So I think you hit that pretty well. So current state of fire lunches, how much familiarity do you have with them? Well, so you, you sent me over the, um, you sent me over a little bit of the outline and I saw this question and I wanted to ask, I wanted to get your perspective on it. Like as a, as a guy who is on the lines, what's your take on it? You know, cause I've, I've, ch I've chatted a little bit with, sorry to interrupt you. I've chatted a little bit with, um, guys through social media account and I've gotten some sort of differing opinions well it's it's mostly universal that it sucks but other than that uh, i've gotten some different opinions but i'd love to hear from you kind of your thoughts on it so you've seen you're familiar with the pictures that you've seen on some of these yeah. social media posts so that's typically what we get um it's very rare and it's a very rare treat that we get like something like a uh i don't know like a, a what are they called? RX bar or something like that. I've had those occasionally and I love them because I think, I don't know if it's just like some conception that I have saying that it's like, Oh yeah, this is better for you or whatever. But as far as like uh, fresh vegetables or fresh fruit, it's pretty lacking. You get this rock hard pear, or this mealy ass apple that you just end up chucking in the woods because you don't want to eat it. Other than that, it's a sandwich that's just nothing but cheese and meat no like lettuce or anything on it which makes sense because that's gonna like fall apart after you know yeah. a rough day of hiking around this thing's just riding in your pack so that makes sense but you're getting the meat witch and you're getting 17 uncrustables and you're getting a cliff bar and <laughs> a shit ton of like canned juice and it it's garbage man i don't know if i'm just jaded on it because i've been eating this shit for 11 years but that's pretty much like industry standard as far as food goes in a fire lunch so let me ask you this someone um who i had who i had been talking with on one of the social media platforms and i, I forget their name so i apologize if they're listening but they had brought up an interesting point and i'm curious if you think this would be well received by guys in camp so obviously a lot of there are a ton of fires at least in the u.s pacific northwest right so Lots of different outlets for fruits, vegetables, and things like that. He had pro he had posed the potential of, you know, not all of that stuff makes it to market, right? Some of that stuff never even makes it to like the secondhand stuff to become applesauce. Let's say if they brought that to camp, if they just, if they developed some sort of a program where they could bring some fruits and vegetables in, maybe it's bruised. Would guys at camp like that? Guys and girls at camp? I could. I could spit out a bruised part of a pear. That's no big deal. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it would be interesting to, to develop something like that where, you know, you're out here during that time of year, man, it's, it's prime picking for some of these things. So it seems like a relatively 
easy way to make you guys happy, help you perform better and so on and so forth. I mean, I'm sure it's easy for me to come up with that solution, but a little bit different to be able to actually conceptualize and pull off with, you know, logistics and, and money and all of that. But um, I just thought that that was a great potential solution, particularly where most of the fires happen. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, if you were to somehow be able to handle it logistically, yeah, it'd make perfect yeah. sense. But the actual reality of things are is that you're feeding an army that's only yep. going to be there for maybe a month and a half tops. Yep. So yep. I understand the logistical difficulties that that's going to provide and also the financial implications that that might have. Yep. We never yeah, that's great. Good points. Yep. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say where it's going to go from here. Hopefully uh, the folks over at MTDC, uh, formerly MTDC, uh, those are the guys and girls that pretty much develop everything for the fire service. Um, I hope they come up with something a little bit better. Maybe get some like pro bars in our uh, in our lunches or something like that because I love those things. Shout out to pro yeah. bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, you'd mentioned getting the RX bars, and you said, "Well, I'm not really sure if it's just something I'm conceptualizing in my head, or if it's if it truly is makes a difference." And there are in those type of environments because I'm just going to label wildland firefighters essentially as athletes right because you're essentially doing the same things in the same type of environments as a mountain athlete that i would normally work with there are certain components of nutrition that will affect you at those type of outputs meaning high outputs right so high activity outputs if you're eating lots of fiber so lots of bars have tons of fillers and fibers in them um, so if you're eating that, you are you are creating a mess because that is a di- – fiber digests very slowly. It actually slows the emptying of the gut, so it sits in there longer. And when you're performing those high-output activities like that, your body is shunting blood away from the gut to whatever muscle is active, right? So if you're thinking of a, a wildland firefighter, if you're swinging the Pulaski or you're hiking up a hill or whatever – you the blood is going to those muscles. It is not going to your gut to help you digest. So you throw down two cliff bars and that's essentially, I think roughly what, 10 grams of fiber plus some filler. You've got a decent amount of fat and it's just sitting on your gut weighing like a brick. There's reasons you feel different whenever you opt for different things out there. But of course, like you'd said, you're so hungry, you just eat whatever's given to you. So you don't really have an option. You choke it down knowing you might not feel great. But on the other side of things, it does make sense why you would say, well, there's just certain times when I eat certain things that I do better than with others. There is explanation to that. It's not just like something you're thinking of because the packaging is a matte packaging rather than gloss. And so it makes you feel like it's healthier. (laughs) I gotcha. It's just funny, though, because, I mean, I I wish we had the luxury to bring our own food in. But like you said earlier, um, we don't have that luxury. And I understand. Oh, go ahead. And if we were going to play, so if we were going to play devil's advocate from, you know, the dietitian running the computerized program, who's got these crazy high numbers that they have to meet in terms of calories and carbohydrates and whatnot, um, you know, it's, it is, it is quite difficult to meet those needs without piling in a ton of sugar, things that are higher in fat, and you want things that rapidly digest. I mean, so in a high output activity, you're burning you could burn up to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour, one gram for every minute that you're active. That's a and ton. So you could, it is a ton and it blows people's minds. So if I work with an athlete and they say, okay, well, you know, I'm, I've got this endeavor planned 10 miles a day over three day period. We're backpacking to some high mountain lakes. We're going to do some fishing. Okay, great. What are my calorie needs? And I'll spit that number out to them. 
and it just blows their mind. They, they're worried they're going to gain weight, and, and they don't. I mean, as a matter of fact, people generally will lose weight, and that's because of that high metabolism where you're, where you're turning over carbohydrates at a rapid rate. And so, you know, you, you take a dietitian who is sitting there looking at a computer trying to meet the needs of a, of a wildland firefighter, and they're thinking, man, how can I get this much in this guy or this gal um, in a reasonable way, dealing with the budget that I'm dealing with? And so, you know, on the flip side of things, you can understand where the challenge is, too, because the needs are so high and there's only so many ways to meet them. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm totally understanding that fact that there is somebody who did all the math over at MTDC or whatever and said, well, yeah. we have to do this or else you guys are going to go into a severe calorie deficit. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting study um, done. I think it was back in like 2002 and they estimated the number of calories burned in a wildland firefighter compared to the number that they eat. And there was a deficit of something like 690 calories a day. And they ended up averaging a, roughly a 2.76 pound weight loss over a 14 day job. And so you could imagine trying to replace 6,000 calories per day is going to be a, it's going to be tough because you're working the whole time. When are you going to eat that much, right? And, oh, yeah. and, and, and the second to that, man, stuffing in 6,000 calories, even if you've got the time to eat it, is incredibly difficult. That's a lot of food. Oh, yeah. And especially the stuff that they give us where it's like the same thing on, re- on repeat every day. It's like Groundhog's Day every day for your fire lunch. It, it gets yeah. exhausting to eat that I much. can imagine. I can imagine. So then, you know, then... Then, of course, you could tease that conversation out and say, okay, well, then morale drops and then people aren't doing as well in their job and then mistakes are made and then the mistakes cost more money. You know, like, you, you know, that that could people, you know, people look at it like, oh, this is Groundhog's Day lunch. It's just another day or whatever. But it could ultimately result in serious implications if you tease it out that long, because I, I, I mean, obviously – of course, the dietitian talking here, but I think that nutrition plays a deeper role than just just providing nutrition. Like you, you have to want to eat what's there. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the weight loss thing over the season too, because over just a fourteen day assignment, even we come into the beginning of the season just jacked and we're like ready to get some. Our fitness is on point. Our nutrition is dialed for the most part, and you see these hot shots coming off the line after six months of doing this shit day in and day out for six months. And they they look like Skeletor, man. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I totally, I mean, a hundred percent believe that. And you know, the, the challenge is there are ways to mitigate that, but to mitigate that would almost, would almost have to change what happens on the line. Right. I mean, you would have to take multiple breaks you'd have to spend time some days off you'd have to fuel adequately day in and day out there couldn't there ha- there would have to be some consistency with intake there's no way that you could you know for for three days be able to eat the six thousand to, to not lose any weight but if you missed a day you're already creating an average intake less than what you need and some weight loss would be inevitable so it would almost have to change kind of the way that things are done even from an occupational standpoint. Oh, absolutely. And that's a whole other topic too, because the work to rest and what we actually do versus how much we put in, it's, that's a whole other discussion. It's kind of a point of contention among some people's too, uh, people too. Yeah. 
But anyway, so we're on the fire lunch topic. I mean, there are legitimate pros and cons to fire lunches. What are some of those? Let's go with the pros. Play devil's advocate for us. So, yeah, so, so the pros are everything that most of what I've seen anyway that's given, most of that is a rapid digesting carbohydrate, right? They're simple carbohydrates and they're digest very fast. Now, from a from from a from a strictly performance standpoint, from a performance nutrition standpoint, the metabolism of them are so quick that it's going to give you energy. I mean, it's going to fuel that entire endeavor. So from from that standpoint, it's good. And if they give you these rapid digesting carbs without like bars that are full of fillers and fibers, then it's not going to sit heavy on your gut, and you're going to be able to go most of the day, or you should be able to go most of the day anyway. Um, so those are that's about where the pros stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very short list of pros compared to the cons, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, from, from that standpoint, it is essentially jet fuel for the mountain, man. I mean, you know, when we, whenever I, I work with people who are climbing, um, either doing like a, like a big summit mountain over in, over in Nepal or whatever, or if they're doing a multi-day type of a hunt over here, um, they, there's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of that rapid digesting what seems like crap, but in that moment, man, there, you know, uh, a granola bar here and there just simply won't do it. So you have have to sort of rely on those things. But now changing channels to the, to the, to the negative aspects of it, those trips for a lot of the people I work with are short lived. They're three and four days, but you guys, it's six months for 11 years, right? I mean, that's how long you've been doing this. And so that type of nutrition for over that duration of time can create some pretty significant problems in a person, right? They're, all of those foods are, they're what we call calorie dense. So they're calorie heavy and nutrient poor. They're calorie heavy with zero nutrition. There's very little vitamins. There's very little minerals in there. That over time can create some problems, right? Um, second part two, the risk of diabetes you would think would be high in that sugar, but if a person or in that with that amount of sugar, if a person's active, they're metabolizing that sugar rather quickly. Nonetheless, if they become inactive, then that can create some potential problems. Part. Go ahead. Uh, so that's another thing too is like we become inactive after that season. So we fight fire for six to eight months, depending on where right. we are. But the rest, of it, it's winter. It's raining. It's snowing. It's whatever. You're not fighting fire. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, so as, we have- as far as like the time frames go, I mean, what are like the long term health benefit or health consequences of that? Right. So you're talking about, you know, if if if, if the long term consequences without some good nutrition and relying strictly on those. Now you're starting to get into things like, you know, most of those, most of those meals that I've seen very little by way of fiber, right? So we've learned just from a, from a health standpoint, fiber helps drive cholesterol down. It helps prevent colon cancer. It helps prevent heart disease. So those three alone are, are biggies, right? And that's not to say that, you know, eating some of the foods that they put in those lunches are going to cause those problems, but a diet comprised solely of that without some foods that are high in fiber and really nutrient dense could potentially contribute to it. And so like you, like you're talking about, you take people that are on eating like that 11 years straight because they've got no real option 
that could potentially cause problems. The guys that I'm working with on these three, seven, 14, even 21 day, and then they come back home and they're back on a normal diet. They're, they're not suffering those type of consequences, but this is an entirely different deal because this is a career for a lot of people. It is a career. And that's a thing too, especially <clears> like <throat> these long-term hotshot soups and everything like that. And it kind of makes me wonder, cause you were saying that you have a cognitive decline with poor nutrition, right? There's a correlation with that. I, you Okay. Uh, so yeah, my question to you is, I wonder, we have a, let me preface this with, we have a huge problem with mental health in the fire community and it breaks my heart. And I'm beginning to wonder that if our diet and our activity levels over the summer, that zero to a hundred back to zero again, has this effect or this effect on our mental health or our well-being, our cognitive functions. Yeah, you could, I mean, you could certainly argue that a diet that's nutrient poor, high in calories, leaves a person without any energy, that lack of energy prevents them doing things that as simple as walking a dog or you know, just being outside in their yard, raking leaves, much less being able to and enjoy stuff like they maybe used to. Um, you could definitely argue from that. There's a, a, a weight for mental health there. Right. So, yeah, I'm like, you know, like I'm in total agreement with the comment earlier, too, where we were talking about the morale. If you guys are getting the same thing, Groundhog's Day, you're getting the same thing day in, day out. The morale starts to wear and you you don't perform as well as work. And so I'm, I'm definitely a big believer from that standpoint that nutrition can play a role in mental health. Now, there is some, you know, there is some interesting conversation around preventing cognitive decline in terms of like alzheimer's disease with good nutrition a lot of the studies are somewhat conflicting they tend to highlight certain nutrients like omega-3s let's say um is one that gets thrown around and we do know that that omega-3 so it's a certain type of fat um found in different types of foods one of them namely being like salmon fatty cuts of fish we have found that that really is good for for brain health, but as far as preventing Alzheimer's and cognitive decline, we haven't necessarily correlated the two. But you guys certainly aren't getting doses of wild salmon on the fire line, so <laughs> that we aren't. And uh, I don't know if this is a, a BS study that was made uh, that I read, um, but there's correlating a uh, what is it an insulin resistance in the brain that's causing these mental health de- or these mental uh, these cognitive function declines like uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. I don't know what your thoughts are on that or if that's a BS study or not. But what's your what's your thoughts? Well, I mean, I'd have to I'd have to read the actual study to be able to say whether that's true. I don't want to just throw that around, but you know, it's 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 tough to say. Like you'd have to look at someone's overall diet to be able to determine whether the insulin resistance is simply became to be blamed by the diet. What my experience is, is that usually there are multiple things in a person's life that lead to some sort of disease, right? So it's not just that the diet's poor, but it's that the diet's poor and they're sedentary. They don't, they don't do anything, right? And, And it's not just that they're sedentary and the diet's poor, but they also smoke and they drink and they, you know, the list goes on and on and drink excessively, I guess I should say. And so all of those things, that conglomeration, at least in the studies and and the consistent studies and the consistent research that I've seen, is it's multiple factors that are playing these things in people's lives, right? So you take inflammation is another topic, like chronic inflammation in the body. People talk about anti-inflammatory foods. 
And what we found is it's these it's these lifestyles choices that create the state of inflammation, and then that state of that chronic state of inflammation is what causes a lot of the chronic diseases that we know, like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, those type of things. But it's not just one thing someone's doing; it's overall habits, and that's what's that's what ties it back to wildland firefighting, like we keep talking about. This isn't a three day trip for you guys. This is careers and and eleven years of it. And so 11 years of, of being able to have adequate nutrition can certainly play a role over a long period of time. I mean, what are some specific uh, health consequences if we were to continue this as like a 20-year firefighter or a 30-year firefighter? So, and, and here's, here's where it gets tricky, right? Because you, you can't just make a generalization because everyone's different. You're going to, you, every one of us listening knows of someone who ate butter and bacon every morning, smoked a pack of cigarettes every day, and drank a fifth of whiskey every single day and lived till they were 96 with no health problems, right? And then the rest of us know somebody else who did everything right, practiced great nutrition, got adequate exercise, slept great, and drank plenty of water and died at the age of 36. So you can't make any sort of generalization. But what we have seen is, you know, like one that I, I'll come back to is, the risk of colon cancer. If you don't eat any fiber, there's no bulk in the stools and there's nothing essentially cleaning the colon. So the risk of cancer can increase. If there's no dietary fiber in a person's diet from, let's say, whole grain, whole wheat bread, whole grain rice, oats, things of that nature, then there's nothing that's taking cholesterol and carrying it out of the body. So your cholesterol levels not only go up, but they've got no chance of going down, creates cardiovascular disease, heart attack, potential early death. Right. So there's 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 endless roads like that that um, ultimately result with nutrition. And I think one of the things that's interesting, given a trend that we see now at the hospital is more and more doctors, I think, are starting to acknowledge that the root of most of their patients' causes has something to do with diet, right? Like there's there's some sort of component to nutrition. It may not be the primary driver, but there's something in that, in this person's habits that can be affected simply by changing some choices with nutrition, and most of that can make maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't heal the disease or maybe it doesn't um, maybe it doesn't get them off the hook entirely. But maybe that means a better management of symptoms, right? Maybe that means a little bit better quality of life than what they've got now. Uh, a good example of that would be like heart failure. So heart failure patients are um, they're usually known to carry fluid in their ankles, their feet, their legs, all over their body. But management with a lower salt diet to where they don't have pain when they walk because there's no fluid on their legs, that can mean a big deal to somebody, right? I mean, that could be an immense quality of life change. And it could mean walking with their grandkids as opposed to not. And, and those type of things can definitely play a big role in a person's quality of life. It's interesting, though, that nutrition has such a, a, a large interaction with quality of life. I always yeah. find that fascinating. I guess that you wouldn't put, you know, 87 octane in a Ferrari now, would you? <laughs> right. Nope. You're exactly right. And, you know, it's a conversation that we have with a lot of people. Like, you know, most most people that I meet with, in, in, especially at the hospital, so at the clinic, you know, we'll, we'll meet with um, people to try to help them either lose weight or manage a chronic disease or whatever. Nine times out of ten, people aren't interested in making it to 107 years old. They're not looking for quantity of life. 
they want the last 15 years to be real good. And so they're, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, um, I've had, I've had some, some professionals send patients to me and want them to lose a hundred plus pounds or whatever. When in reality, what some studies would suggest is just a 10% weight loss from where they currently are would drastically improve health outcomes. So you take someone who's 200 pounds, maybe a little bit overweight, rather than trying to get them back to high school fighting weight of, you know, 135, 20 pounds is what literature is suggesting would help improve their health immensely. So getting them to 180, and now all of a sudden you've got a guy who feels like, They've got this insurmountable goal. I'll never make it to 135, but we talk about 180, and it feels like oh, they're motivated, and so they make the change and they reach the 180. Right, and so I think they're they're not really interested in a, a greater quantity of life. Everybody just wants the whatever years they've got less to be decent, and nutrition can definitely impact that. So there we go. The guys, got to put some good stuff in your body. And speaking of which, what are we going to do? What's some suggestions that you have to improve nutrition on the line? Let's go with on the line first. Well, I think that it's, it's a challenge, right? Because you don't get to choose much. You guys are given, you guys are given something and there's not a whole lot that you can change about that. So I think that my suggestion there is to be, is, is to control what you can when you get the opportunity to, right? So you may be on assignment for 14 days. Maybe you get a period of time off and maybe that period of time is just driving from one town to another and you've got four or five meals stuck in there where you're able to get a little more flexibility and pull in somewhere and get something. Make good decisions then, right? So control the environment when you're able to. If you're financially able to buy a few extra things to last you, even when you're at camp that you can have there, then, uh, you know, invest the money and do that. You know, another piece, too, would be considering, you know, just a general good multivitamin, taking that with you, a simple chewable multivitamin from Walmart. I think it's $3.64 for a bottle of 100 Um you may, yes, food is always going to be better, but at least this will help fill some gaps until you're able to get out of, um, out of assignment and, and go get something, go get something with actual nutrition in it. But the, you, you, that's the hard part, right? I mean, you can't, you can't change what you're given, right? That That's a, that's a high level conversation, um, that most of us don't really have much weight in, unfortunately. And so I think the only other option, if we're realistic, yeah, I'd love a fruit and vegetable program to come sweeping through there, but you made it, you made a good point and gave me a dose of reality. It was probably, it's good, but logistically it's going to be tough to pull off. So the only other option would be to control the elements when you can. As far as supplementation goes, besides the multivitamin, what else do you guys got or what else do you have? Save your money. Save <laughs> your money. Yeah, there is not there is not much. I mean, even on the performance nutrition end of things, like if we were talking to an audience full of gym rats, even on that end, there is not a ton that that, that literature is saying is it is really gonna make a difference in you getting all the gains, right? <laughs> that walking out of the gym with <clears throat> getting all of the gains. I mean, there's caffeine is one. Believe it or not, a couple cups of coffee before you work out um, has been shown to help some. And I think that that's more of a I don't want to call it a placebo, but it gives you, you know, obviously you're in the gym and there's more of that mind muscle connection. And so you're going to go harder with it because if you had nothing, you walk in dead tired. Uh, there's been some literature to support creatine, but 
you know, I, I'm a firm believer that if you get, if you've got a pretty good variety from diet and you're getting some cre- creatine from uh, beef and other good supplement, other sources of um, creatine, you're, you'll be more than fine. I always encourage people just to save their money if you've got a, a decent diet. I gotcha. And now what about the combating those long-term effects? Like what can we do in the off season to help offset, if you will, these years and years of, you know, getting our asses kicked and eating crap? I think again, not to be redundant and go back to Groundhog's Day, but controlling what you can, right? So if you, if you, if you're on a, a six on six month on a six month off type of a deal, those six months, that you're off make them count you know make the make the stops at fast food very minimal choose your snacks wisely you know if you're if you have a winter job whatever you bring to that job make it count you know you don't need to go to long john silver's every day for lunch or chipotle and eat the massive burrito make make those decisions whenever you're off count because even if you're only able to get six months of good nutrition in um and six months of bad that always beats 12 months of bad right (laughs) so if you're able to make it count, um, if you're able to control the elements whenever you're able to control them, and when you can't, you can't. Um, do what you can when you can, and um, just make the best of it. <laughs> Got to make the best of it. Quality stuff in the off season, guys. Listen up. All right. So one last question that I have for you: We fire us firefighters. We tend to be a quite surly bunch. Uh, drinking is kind of ingrained in the culture, and now what are some performance aspects of drinking? Like what I know it's bad for you. We all know that drinking is bad for you, but as far as performance goes, how detrimental is that to your performance? I'd say, so for starters, dehydration is the first thing that comes to mind. Alcohol is incredibly dehydrating. Um, This is sort of a a different piece because you need as many calories as you can, but so alcohol is the only thing that we get calories from with zero nutrition contribution right so carbohydrates uh, proteins and fats they all give us calories but they all serve function in the body carbohydrates give us energy they help brain function Um, protein repairs and heals it allows hair growth it allows muscle growth all of those things fats help with hormonal function transport insulation all of that alcohol does nothing beyond give you calories so from an overall health standpoint and weight and chronic disease and those type of things you talked earlier about insulin resistance and so excess weight can create some of those environments and if that excess weight is from alcohol then obviously your performance is going to go down significantly then hangovers hurt let's be honest here (laughs) no spring chicken anymore so (laughs) hangovers i lose two days to now and I, i don't like it yeah, so there you go. Productivity is the second performance uh, drainer, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, just moderate your drinking, I guess, and hydrate. You know, um, everything's good in moderation, but just don't uh, don't beat yourself up with the alcohol. Good advice. Yeah, man. So it's it's super funny because you were talking about the Groundhog's Day earlier thing. It's kind of been a recurring topic of the show, but we have this thing in the fire service. We uh, start the season uh you know bright-eyed and bushy-tailed so to speak and then it kind of like declines over the season till we come to what's called dirty august where tempers are kind of high we're kind of over it that eventually leads into snap timber which is 
where everybody's like snapping at each other. But it's yeah, kind of right. funny how, how you mentioned that uh, food also has to play a huge deal in that. And I wonder if there's any correlation there. It would be interesting to find out, right? I mean, you know, I, it would be interesting to see if you come to Snap Timber and you give guys a variety, a menu of variety and a menu of palatable stuff that they like, where they look forward to eating. It would be fascinating to know if the if the environment changed, it right? Might. I mean, I would imagine no one studied that, and you'd have to obviously put metrics to study that and. Who knows, like, how happy are you today compared to last September? I don't know how you would measure it, but it would be fascinating to to know if food changes the morale of people towards the end of the season. I would I would challenge that it, it could, not only from the morale standpoint, but if you're providing good nutrition over the entire course of the season, my guess would be guys are less affected, less tired at the end of September if they've been getting adequate nutrition and good nutrition the whole time. I mean, you think about... You think about guys um, maybe who hunt, right, and they go out for seven days. At the end of the seventh day, usually the same type of thing. They haven't been eating a lot. They're at their wit's end. But I've also been on ones where guys have been, and by day seven, man, they could go another seven if they wanted to. And you have to think that that plays some role. I'm not going to say that it's like the game changer, but if it plays a little bit or if it makes a little bit of an impact, then you could argue potentially that it's worth it. I wonder if that's uh, any correlation. It's good. It's a good point, though. I like it. It is a good point. So you should get credit if they do the study. You should be the lead author. Hey, man, you're the one who went through the science of it. So I think that you should get the credit for it. Um, speaking of other <laughs> things, <We'll> share it. <laughs> sounds good. Speaking of other things like that, uh, along like uh, insulin spikes and drops and all that stuff, we get these high uh, carbohydrate lunches, which probably sends your insulin through the roof, right? And a crash off of that is going to make you super tired. There, there's a couple of people that are theorizing. A couple, I can't name who they are, but they're theorizing that critical accidents on the fire line may have to have something to do with this uh, insulin spike and drop. Are you asking me to speak to that? I mean, if you got any opinions on it, it's opinion, of course. I mean, so there's nothing scientific behind it. So yes, you know, in the in, in in the in the in the culture of the United States, we have come to learn a lot about insulin resistance and high carbohydrate intakes. And so you take somebody who works in an office and they eat the type of lunches you guys are given, then yes, they get an insulin spike, their blood sugar goes up, they experience that rapid rise and then they experience that rapid fall. What's interesting about athletes and what initially got me interested in the population of working with athletes, and again, uh, sort of lumping you guys under that title because it is essentially what you are, muscular demand dictates whether or not a carbohydrate is too bad or too good, right? So if that muscular demand is very high, meaning you're doing a lot of high output activity, your your muscles are using that carbohydrate at full, at, at as fuel, meaning it doesn't really have a ton of time to sit there and cause all of the problems that, you know, a lot of people that work in a desk job and eat that same type of a diet, the type of problems that they experience. So I, I would contend that I'm not going to call who, whoever these people are wrong, but I would contend that again, that it's probably multifaceted as to why that's happening. Um, long days, right? No, um, little to no breaks. The in- 
ability to be able to so this not to keep jumping around but not only in in the world of performance nutrition calories do matter but calories do not matter unless they're coming from the right source and in addition to that the second the second biggest rule with performance nutrition especially in endurance events kind of like you guys do long days blah 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 timing matters right so if you're having these long gaps between eating anything your energy is definitely tanking and that's got nothing to do with the fact that you had a high carb meal that's got to do with the fact that you haven't eaten so you you have to intermittently replace those lost stores right so you know we talked earlier about the body metabolizing during high output activities as much as a gram of carb per minute and even as high as 1.5 1.5 grams per minute so you know your needs could range anywhere between 60 and 90 grams per hour if you're not replacing those it's no shock that people are falling short of the stick making mistakes whenever they're having long periods of time between eating anything so i don't want to call whoever these folks are wrong necessarily but i would argue that it's not just these high carb foods causing the problems particularly for guys who are really really active yeah, and that's one of the things that I, I, I want to clarify too. I'm sure there's this is a very multifaceted thing, but they're saying they are theorizing, the people that I've spoken to, that it could be a contributing factor to uh, injuries, stuff like that on the line. I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted yeah, to get, pick your brain and see what your thoughts were on that. No, it's a good question. It's a great question. Yeah, the time will tell. I guess they got to put together a study, but I don't know, man. Well, what do you think? Uh, I think you'd call us a tie-in point. Yeah, let's tie it up. I appreciate you having me, man. Appreciate whoever listened, taking the time to listen to however long this ended up being, too. <laughs> We're looking at about eh, 50 minutes or so. Um, well, Kyle, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, definitely appreciate your expertise and knowledge, man. So where can we find you on the socials? I appreciate it. Uh, so the social stuff is it's so the the name of the company or whatever is valley to peak nutrition and the the little handle is the letter v the number two and then the letter p nutrition so it's v2p nutrition um it's the same for the website v2p nutrition.com and um instagram and i think facebook i think that's it that keeps me plenty busy (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's it's uh social media is definitely hard to keep up with well, yeah. if you guys have any questions, definitely hit him up. He is a wealth of expertise and knowledge, and uh, I'm sure if you guys got any questions, he'd be more than willing to answer them for you. So, Kyle, at the end of the show, I uh, offer the opportunity for you to give out a shout-out to a homie or hero, mentor, plural even, mentors. Who do you got? Oh, wow, man. That's uh, put me on the spot there. I guess I should just go for the one that came, came to the top of my mind. It's... Um, uh, a close friend of mine, his name's, his name's Wayne, Wayne Crownover. He, um, he's one of the first guys to take me out in the mountain, teach me how to hunt when I moved. Or, well, I, I had a couple of really sparse seasons uh, without him. So he's he's been incredibly patient with me and um, just become a really good friend of my wife and I. He's pastor at our church and just a, a great friend. His whole family is and um, helped me not too long ago harvest my first buck here in Idaho. And uh, we've had a lot of great adventures, taught me to bow hunt. And uh, so he is not only on the outdoor end of things, a mentor, but on the life end of things, he's a few years older than me. And so now having a little boy um, at home, and he's got a couple that he's pretty much raised and are doing their own thing now. I often go to him for some fatherly wisdom, too. And so, yeah, I appreciate that, man. Love to give, take the time to shout him out. Nice, man. 
Well, Kyle, thank you once again, man. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, hearing from you again. Let's get you back on the show. Maybe a repeat guest. Love to, man. Appreciate you having me. Genuinely do. Hell yeah, dude. Well, there you go, guys. Visit V2P Nutrition on the old gram and uh, hit him up. Check out what he's doing. He's doing some good stuff. <laughs> Kyle, thanks once again, man. We'll see you later. My my pleasure, man. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again for rushing home, making it a little bit early. And if I can do anything for you, let me know. I'd be happy to. Right on, man. Thanks. You bet. Have a good night. All right, guys, there you go. Episode number 22 is in the books with Kyle Camp from Valley to Peak Nutrition. Kyle, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, good nutrition is important, and you highlighted a ton of that. Thank you. Also, I appreciate the fact that you kind of took a uh, devil's advocate stance on our fire lunches. I mean, I'm predisposed to hating them, but I understand that there is a purpose behind them, whether that be longevity or the quick sugar that we do need to operate the way we do in the field and uh yeah thank you for taking the time to explain the purpose behind that even though we hate them (laughs) and also thank you for well explaining some of those long-term health effects associated with having this lifestyle uh particularly from the nutrition side for so long so guys girls keep in mind good nutrition is important so make up for it during the winter speaking of winter it is layoff season, so hope you guys are going to enjoy your winter, and uh, yeah, take advantage of this time. Take advantage of this time off that you guys have on the horizon. Reconnect with your friends, your loved ones, your family members, all the people that you didn't have the luxury of hanging out with during the summer. Take advantage of it now. And for Fire Family, definitely take care of each other. Check up on each other. Hang out, drink beers, PT with each other. The occasional phone call goes a long way. It can be a rough time of year, so keep that in mind. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening to The Anchor Point. We'll see you on the next one.